0: Good morning. good morning. I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you this beautiful morning on Sunday. Um, we're in the Book of Mark. I do want to remind you, as we saw up here, that Ghost Ship is coming this Friday. So tell your friends and be here. All the chairs, for most, of, there'll be places to sit down, but most of the chairs will be cleared out because I think we had like 600 people or something last time. And it was just an amazing time. We were singing at the top of our voices, arms stretched out, worshiping King Jesus together. It was fantastic. So put on uh, social media wherever you can and invite folks to come. It's free. Uh, we we want as many people to come as possible. Now, what I want to jump into first, this is probably a little bit longer intro than, than you're used to, um, in light of the loudspeaker and the platform that Facebook and Instagram consistently have and progressively uh, reveal. Um, famous people have been leaving Christianity because they no longer um, believe its message. And, right, so, and that's incredibly saddening to me. Um, and I keep reading about the message here, and this way to live, and the things to do, and this list of propositions, and it excludes these people, and this, and I can't believe that anymore. And what I never hear about as I read these things is the person of Jesus, I read about the list, I read about the propositions, I read about here's what moral code, here's what we we're to do, here's how we we're to act, here's what's expected, and I never will hear about leaving a person, the one that makes a difference. And you've got to know what's different about Christianity. I mean, that's what's important. That's why we're here. That's why we come, not just in mass, but just this why we come. And we're not here as, as church leadership to make you feel good about yourself. Um, We're not here to make worship in your image so that it can be about you and you can feel good about God feeling good about you. We're not here to make God look a certain way that will be more appealing to you. Um, And we we talk about sin. Why? Because it's real and because it leads you away from God. Hebrews chapter 3, I was reminded this week, 12 through 14. This is why we do this in community. It says, don't forsake the the assembling of yourselves. Why? Because I want to make you do this rule and check and see if you'll all do what I want to do? No, because it's healthy. We're a body. I don't want you to come here so that we'll just have a bunch of people and be proud about it. We we don't care about that. We, We don't. If you know the heart of this church, you understand that. This is what it says. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, from a person but exhort one another every day. Not just Sunday. I mean, that's part of it. That's different. But, but every day. Why? Because every day we need that ex- exhortation. Evidently, the Bible ex- assumes that. As long as this is called day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ. Indeed, if we hold our original confession, our, our confidence firm to the end. And so there's this assumption that there is the deceitfulness of sin, that your heart can be hardened in there. And so we must come together. You must remind me of the gospel. I must remind you of the gospel. That the gospel is about a person and that the, the, the Word of God leads us to that, and that our emotions and how we feel about that Word is not going to shape the Word. That The Word itself must shape our emotions and how we feel about that. Otherwise, the deceitfulness of sin will set in, and our hearts will be hardened, and the next thing you know, we're going to be like, I don't know if I believe that anymore. I don't want you to be led away from the living God. And personally, it's one of the big reasons I, I quit my job seven years ago. If if you're new, you're like, well, you're a pastor. I'm like, I ain't always been one. I quit that to do this full time and to pour my life into it because it's all about Jesus. And if if Christianity becomes a set of propositions or a moral code or a way to be nice and that's it, then we're in danger. We're in danger. Because it always terminates on the person of Christ. That this life is from Jesus and it is for Jesus and it is to Jesus. And that's where our satisfaction and our joy and our abundance and our thriving and our flourishing in life are found. Not in material wealth, not in, in a worship experience that you can really get into, not in the slick programs, not in the charismatic speakers, okay? And my heart just breaks when people think that Christianity is another way to live or another culture or another moral code or another religion. And so it's because we love you and because God loves you that he's given us his word for that not to happen. And we come together weekly and, and, and more often than that so that we can hear not what the word means to me, but what the word means. And so even if I say that, you don't go, oh, well, Jamie said that. No, you go, what does the word say? Even on Sunday morning, it's not about me. I'm going to study as hard as I can. I'm going to pray the Spirit uses that, okay? My kids are like, hey, you study." studying. I mean, even at home, yes, we study hard. Well, there's going to be things I'm going to miss. And if it's wrong, you need to call me out on it. I mean, I call myself, I think, five years ago, I thought, <laughs> that was not quite right. That wasn't one of these. It's a, a closed-handed issue. It's one of these that's open-handed. And so we're always growing, and I get that. And yes, we should have grace with one another, but at some point, what is, what is Mark saying in the Gospel of Mark that we're going through, right? What is the author of, what is the Bible saying? Why? That's why we do this in community. Even our teaching team is in community. It's not me in a closet with a bunch of books and, and just coming up with what the Lord has given me. I, that's not the way it works. We have a teaching team and we have community even in that and our lives must be grounded in the written word of God or the truth is going to change with every major life event and as culture changes, right? And so the written word of God must point us to the living word of God because if truth is based on our emotional experience or how we feel about the truth and we're in danger, and that's why we go through books of the Bible. Just in case you're wondering, I don't do this every Sunday. Might need, need to. <laughs> I might change, we might need to. I, it's, it's too long, I know. But, and, we, and we can't just spend time in devotions. Those are good, but those are also somebody's opinion of what the Bible says. And so if we just go there for fuel... And we're getting somebody's opinion, and it's going to be, they're going to be their shaping of the Word and not the Word itself. We've got to go straight to the Word, and we memorize it, we put it in our hearts, we hide it away, and we let the Spirit take that and breathe life into it. We need both. And so I just want you to hear that this morning. That's what we're doing this morning. We must study the Scripture to know God as He is, otherwise we will be shipwrecked in our faith. Now, that's really negative and sad and, and depressing on that point. So let me, let me just counter that with, um, let's also be reminded this morning that in America... That, that, it's, that Christian celebrities are not the epicenter of the Christian faith. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a celebrity. And there are many that I, I, you know, they don't choose to be called that. There are many that I look up to that, that wear it well. But God is no longer tied to a geographical nation. It's through faith, and he is moving and drawing men and women to himself all over the world. And even if America falls to the wayside and its enlightenment and its rebellion against God, which we hope not and which is what we preach against, right, that, that his will will not be thwarted, and the people of every tongue and tribe and nation, they will come together and they will worship. His will will not fail. Now, hope you're listening. And you're ready to go to Mark, because we're about to jump in and pick back up. I just thought something needed to be said about all the, Hey, Jamie, did you see this? Jamie, did you see this? Jamie, did you see it? Yes, I saw it. I did. Thanks. And I appreciate that, because I'm not exactly savvy on Facebook and Instagram. In fact, I got Instagram. I haven't yet. I have to today. My daughter's on it, so now I have to follow her. (laughs) Make sure she's, you know, not doing crazy stuff. All right, so we're talking about Jesus. That's why we're here. Just in case you didn't remember that, I, I, somebody was telling me last week, hey, you said Jesus 34 times. I'm like, we're on track then. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear anything with Jesus. I'm like, that's enough. You know, we'll take that. All right, we'll take... I, I was so encouraged by that. Um, so what will you do with Jesus today, right? That's what we said last week. He's a sinner, and according to St. Augustine, here's a nice quote, the cross is the pulpit from which God preached his love message for the world. All right, that, that's... Jesus' pulpit is the cross, and so now his love being, uh, his love for the world is the lens today that I want us to see the scripture we're going to read, so let's read together. Mark, we haven't done it yet, I wanted to read today, all right, so 16, follow along with me. This is where Jesus is mocked and led to crucifixion, so it is a somber uh, read. Let's read together. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. This is God's word. I want to start looking at that scripture through the lens of possibly the most famous scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard that verse. Hopefully it's committed to memory. That's our lens today. That God loves sinners, God loves his enemies. God showed his love by dying, sacrificing himself for his enemies. Now, the movies get sacrifice. They get it. Me, for you, to a degree. There's the movie Titanic, right? Remember the end of that if you've seen it. 96, 97, somewhere in there. Jack for Rose. He goes off, he takes care of her, she's saved. Frodo for the Shire. I will go to Mount Doom. Aslan, the lion for Edmund, died in his place. We get that. Spoiler alert, In game. It's like the highest grossing movie ever now, so I hope you've seen it. If you haven't, sorry. Iron Man gives himself to bring back his friends. We, we know sacrifice and giving up yourself for another. And man would lay down his life for his friend, John 15. Jesus said, yeah. Even even a good person would do that. But for enemies, but for self-proclaimed haters, would Iron Man die for Thanos? so that Thanos could live? Would Batman die for the Joker? I mean, pick a world. The theme is, is the same. Would William Wallace? and Braveheart die for the King of England? Would Rocky in Rocky IV die for Drago and lay down his life for the Russian? Would Sheldon for Kripke? Daniel's son for Johnny, the mean blind kid that swept the leg in Karate Kid? Seinfeld for Newman? <laughs> Obi-Wan for Darth Vader? You get my point. Jesus is different. He's unique in the fact that he died for sinners, for his enemies, not just his friends. And that by that death and believing him and a work on the cross, through the spirit, there's this change in nature that we can be part of. Nobody else can do that. That takes somebody special. Romans 5:8 says, "While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get better. He came after us while we were sinners. We were children of wrath. We were enemies of the cross. <laughs> it's a paradigm in thinking. It's a paradigm shift and how to think. It's a different kingdom altogether. Me for you, not you for me. So here are our three points. Number one, mockery. Number two, majesty. And number three, mystery. Mockery, majesty, and mystery. So, let's go. This Jesus that we have been following for three years, and for us, it's only about a year. But we've been watch, watching him for his three-year ministry and, and getting to know him. And he came, he came on the scene heralded by Mark, the writer of this gospel, as the Son of God. And he he used regal language, right, that that set him apart as he is the king of this new kingdom that he's proclaiming. In in Mark 1, verse 15, he says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I'm bringing the kingdom. It's here. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom will come. And he calls the disciples, follow me. And he calls you, follow me. And he teaches in the synagogues with a great authority and power, not like the preachers that they're used to, not like us guys. There's something different about Jesus. They're hanging on his words, they have life, they have power. They're not just do this and don't mess up here and keep your ox here and do this on this day and, then here's, and just continue on and here's your set of propositions and just live as much as you can by this one and you'll be okay. And Jesus didn't teach like that and he calmed storms, and he cast out demons, and he healed diseases, and he raised the dead to life. Then he shook up the religious establishment even more by forgiving sin, by hanging out with sinners and tax collectors in their homes, and by calling out hypocrisy among the religious leaders. He's causing quite a turmoil. And after performing all these signs, and many, many signs, and the Pharisees demanded to see a personal sign so that he could prove that he was from God. And when Jesus knew that that was demanded of him, he said, no, I'm not giving this generation a sign. No, his kingdom is just different. It's upside down, if you will. If you remember, he said, if you would be first, you must be last. He said, to gain your life, you must lose it. He said, to truly be great is to serve not to be served. And then he turns his attention to the Passover at Jerusalem and he predicts his death three times in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. And after three years, it's now that we see him being mocked by the soldiers, by the religious leaders, and by the crowd. Number one, mocking. I want you to remember who Jesus was before we talked about what's happening to him. He's led inside Pilate's palace, He's fully inside the enemy's lair, abandoned by his friends. And they call this whole battalion of soldiers, the scholars tell us about 600, to make sport of Jesus. And this is a sobering moment of suffering and humiliation, and it's a good picture, a picture definition for shame. So when you deal with or feel shame, this is what it looks like in your heart. Weakness, inability to defend yourself. You're, you're not enough for your circumstances. Whatever comes up, it sits on your shoulder in condemnation. It says, you're not enough. Many of us know exactly what that feels like. And it's a crushing burden. Except here, it's become cheap entertainment. And they're clever, the soldiers. I mean, you see the joke, Right? He's dressed to make him look like the person he proclaims himself to be. That's the first level of irony, I suppose. They don't think he's really a king. And they figured they'd help him. Dress him in a purple cloak, fashion a crown of thorns. In Matthew, they put a, a wooden spear or, or a scepter in his hand like a ruling king would have. And they thought it was hilarious. And they saluted, Hail, King of the Jews! And hit him in the head with the stick and spit on him and kneeled down to pay homage to their king. What was he going to do? He was one against 600, right? He was powerless against all those soldiers, right? Looked like it. And they just had their way with him. And they took the cloak off him and they put the clothes back on him because most of the time the Romans would just strip strip them naked, and lead them to the crucifixion. But the mockery continued. Verse 21, he needed help to carry his cross, and so uh, Simon was recruited. He says, the father of Alexander and Rufus, so the sons must be well known to Mark, right? He's like, Simon, oh yeah, y'all don't know him, but his, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Y'all, y'all all know Alexander and Rufus, right? Because Mark, don't forget, you can't forget that Mark is writing to a first century audience of the church. And he's writing and he's re- Hey, here's the story. Here's what here's what we saw. Here's what Peter saw. And it's a good reminder when you see detail that's not really pertinent to the story, the veracity of the account. I'm like, what? Who cares about who Rufus is? I mean, Jesus is getting crucified. You're talking about Alexander and Rufus. It's because it's a story. It's an eyewitness account. You're making stuff up. You wouldn't put in incidental details. You're just wasting space. So don't forget, this is history. This is why you see genealogies. Person after person, like, don't know him, don't know him, don't know him, don't know him. You're like, these are people, these are people, these are people. This is real, this is real, this is real, right? That's what it's (laughs) saying. Like, this is not some story. This is actual history. That the crucifixion of the Son of God is real and therefore must be taken seriously and we must crown him or crucify him ourselves with our hearts. That's what we said last week. So he's, he's offered wine that's mixed with myrrh, and so scholars tell us that this was like kind of to, to dull the senses and, and to, to make the pain maybe less, and Jesus refuses this. Now, we don't know why. Maybe it's either to, to not, uh, he wants to take the full brunt of the punishment. We don't, we don't know. No, not right now. He may have taken it the second time when, when it's offered again in a different gospel. It may be simply to make it to the end and be cognizant enough to turn to the thief and say, today you will be with me in paradise. And while they, he was crucified, they divided his clothes and cast lots for them, which is fulfillment of Scripture. And they put a sign over him that read, King of the Jews. And you know, the religious leaders said, they, we wanted to say, he said he was king of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. And so there's another twist of irony. Of course, this sign was a warning to any other revolutionaries like Barabbas, like Judas, like all these other revolutionaries that, that claimed to be the Messiah, that were going to get the, the people of Israel to rise up against the Romans. And basically, the crucifixion is, is good marketing for Rome to say, if you want to try this, this will happen to you. Go ahead. You won't be the first, you haven't been the first, and you will not be the last. And there are people that are just walking by. It's easy to take a, a pot shot at somebody that can't swing back. And they're wagging their heads. I mean, that's an interesting term. Look at that. Look at that. It's just shameful. You who would destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days. You you big talker. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. And so the religious leaders say the same things. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Because if we would just see, we would believe. Even the revolutionaries, Barabbas' friends on either side of him, Barabbas was probably supposed to be in the middle, who Jesus took his place. They revile him. A moment later, we just see this, this utter defeat. Jesus the King, the Messiah, mocked by the world that he came to save, waits to die. This is part of follow me. Jesus said that at the beginning to the disciples, didn't he? He didn't say, Follow me, and everything will be awesome. He didn't say follow me and you'll lose weight or you'll get the promotion or your family will be awesome, or you'll think you're the everybody think you're the best thing uh, on Facebook. He doesn't say that. In fact, he tells Peter, you know what, you're going to follow me, and they're going to lead you when you're old to where you don't want to go. And all of them did, except for John. That's part of suffering. See, there's no suffering in death when you're you're dead. The suffering happens before death, before the tomb. Maybe you're there now. And Paul said this, Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We love that part, <laughs> right? And may share his sufferings. Become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So why are you saying that, Jamie? Because I think in light of this week's events and people stepping away, that easy believism needs to be combated because it's not Christianity. I think this is a good time to address the question that I get from many young believers or those that are not yet believers. Where is God in my suffering? And so here's the answer. Right here. In the flesh. Not theory. He's taking your place. He's where you should be receiving the suffering you should receive. Do you believe that? Oh, do you think you really don't deserve that? Now, we would say the right answer because we're from the South and the culture and we understand what to say. But We actually think we're a little bit better than this person and this person, you know, I, come on. I just need a little push from God. If you would just get me from those big sins and then I can take care of the rest. And that's how we think and we justify. And what the heart loves, the will chases after and the mind justifies. I think Dave had, a, had that quote three weeks ago. Absolutely. Jesus is fully abandoned and alone. He's misunderstood by everyone, and he's innocent. I mean, even his friends are gone. He's reviled by criminals, mocked, suffering, shame, spit upon, undesirable, an utter failure as a Jewish revolutionary, a loser messiah who didn't win one fight against anyone. He topped a good game, but when push came to shove, he can't deliver when it counts. That's what we're looking at right now. And we don't like weakness. I want my Messiah to be strong. I want him to come in there and just throw lightning bolts. Ugh. That's the big, and, and, on the, and on the macro picture is what I want to see. I want to see Jesus come back now. I, I, I mean, I, I do. I'm not saying I shouldn't. I mean, I do want that. Just like the, the soldiers and just like the crowd, I want to be destroyed. And Jesus didn't do it that way. Now if you were in the crowd, if you were in the crowd and you were honest with yourself and you had followed Jesus for three years and then expecting him to deliver you and to bring this new kingdom and be the new king that He promised, and then he gets killed with other criminals that were kind of promising the same thing, would you have sided with the crowd? Would you find yourself in the crowd? I mean, they hadn't seen him rise. And I think my answer would be, yeah, I would. And that's scary for me to, to think through. Because I know what my heart wants. My heart wants strength. My heart, in the way that I perceive strength. When you watch the, the little YouTube videos, Christian destroys atheist in two minute clip or something. You know, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, but that's not how Jesus wins wars. He lays his life down. It's so antithetical to the way that we think. Weakness displays strength. What? Show me more. We sang the song last week. Behold the man upon the cross. My sin upon his shoulder. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Do we really believe that? It was my sin that held him there. (laughs) Jesus went to the cross for the crowd. He went to the cross for the soldiers. He went to the cross for his enemies. He went to the cross for you and for me. Number two, true majesty, or majesty. Here's where we see irony, double irony. I don't even know if that's an English term. The gospel and the epistle writers weren't as focused as we usually are uh, on the physical aspect of torture. They give you, here are the facts, he was crucified. Um, some, some people say it's because it was so gruesome everybody knew it, they just kind of moved on and they knew what it entailed, and so they don't go into detail. Uh, maybe so. I don't want to understate that. It is horrible. It's just it happened thousands of times and thousands of times. They focus more on what his suffering was achieving. So remember that Mark is writing to the early church that's under persecution. Mid-50s. Nero's getting on the scene. And they're they were not writing to get sympathy for a dead man that suffered greatly in hopes to stir up passion for another revolutionary leader. Man, I hope we get another one. If we remember this, then maybe somebody else will rise up like Jesus. That, that's not why the, the gospel was written. Here's an account of what happened. And here's what it achieved. This is not imagining your dad or a strong influence in your life that's being subjected to ridicule, weakness, stripped of sh- to shame and helplessness at the hands of cruel men like Jesus, as difficult as that might be. We're not trying to, to do that. That's not what's happening. As difficult it is to think like that. No. Jesus is not a victim. He's not a victim here. <laughs> if you remember in John, he says, I lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. Right? So it's not like, oh, poor Jesus, let's get on his side and, and we'll, we'll boost him up. He predicted this in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. This is not a surprise. He could have called a legion of angels. It's 1 versus 600. He'd have been fine. He let them do that. He wasn't seen as a victim by the gospel writers. you got to let that sink in. It didn't for me. I'm like, oh, poor Jesus. Yes, that oh, was a terrible suffering. I'm not saying that as one. I'm not making light of that. But he's not a victim, and he's at the hands of the enemy, and he's just pounding him in the ground. That's kind of the picture I had growing up. Of, of the, there was a song out, and it was like, you know, Satan and Jesus were in this boxing match whoever got the last blow finally pulled it out that was close I'm glad Jesus was still standing I mean it's not like that Mark is making clear who Jesus is and what Jesus did (laughs) namely that he is the son of God the king of kings that saves sinners (laughs) not good people we were reminded that there are none that are good who are you calling good? they're nothing good but God he's letting the church know Mark's letting the church know that what what Jesus has done how it affects them that he's not a victim and so that he's not a victim so that you're not alone in your victimness that's not what he's doing here he identifies you in the lowly state yes but then here's what he did he defeated it he chose and he he took it on he experienced it he walks through it and then he defeats it because he rises again he brings victory and he brings healing and he defeated all sin and weight that pins you and I to the ground. Look at First Peter two verse twenty four It says, "He himself, he bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness." So it's not just, "Oh, that's terrible." Jesus, he's with me in my misery. Yes, and we don't just stay there. That's my problem. I would get on that side of, the, I would just get on that side of the equation. I just, I'm, I'm just glad I'm not alone. Grovel, grovel, grovel. Not alone, self-pity, self-pity, self-pity. So that we can live in righteousness. Okay? That that that, that, there's the other part of that verse, because by his wounds you've been healed, not just identified with. It doesn't say by his wounds you've been identified with. That's not untrue. It's just not the end. You've been healed. We're being healed. That's what's happening. Look at the majesty. It's cloaked in irony here, right? This this double irony we're talking about. That they think they're clever, dressing Jesus up as king, putting this royal robe on, him, on his body and twisting this you know, thorn, a crown of thorns on his head and a staff in his head, and, and they're bowing down to him like he's Caesar. And if they really knew Jesus, and they really knew who he was, then they would really understand that this is actually appropriate. It's the double irony of you're actually doing the right thing. And one day it will happen for all people over all the earth. Now, finally, mystery. So we end with this verse where the religious leaders are saying what many people say today. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Here's what they say. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. You just prove yourself to me that you're God. If you just speak, if you'll do a miracle, if you'll just do these things, then I'll believe. But you ain't done any of that, so I don't have to believe. Now, remember earlier, Jesus says, I'm not going to give this generation a sign, because he knows that's not going to help. And here's, the, here's, here's some more irony, I should have made that a point, right? Um, in the next chapter, he rises from the dead, and they pay off the Roman soldiers so that they won't tell anybody, and so they did see... And they still don't believe. <laughs> I mean, what better sign than, hey, I'm going to come back from the dead than coming back from the dead. I mean, I'm like, hey, here, here's a magic trick. You know, I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back. Oh, ah. It's right in front of your face. You're not going to believe. Why? Because the problem's not logic and reason. We masquerade that it's logic and reason. St. Anselm has a quote I read. I remember reading this this in college, reading the proselytium. And and he says this, we believe that we may see. We don't see that we may believe. That's Christianity. We believe what you say, Jesus. I can't wait to see it. In our lives, in eternity, whatever. We don't see, oh, okay, well, I've corroborated that with my five senses, and this, you know, all the, the data lines up, so therefore, I believe. I'll sit in this chair, because I've, you know, I've kicked it around. That, that's not the way that works. See, the issue really isn't one of logic or emotion. It's included, but not limited to. It's, it's the heart. And yeah, there's some difficult thing to believe. I, there are. There's things I wrestle with. So they're the disciples. But I know the problem's with me. (laughs) I'm limited. Not God's word. Not God's person. Not his character. And so the issue, the core of it, is a a heart problem. We we don't want to believe that he's king. Because that messes up our kingdom. Like an article I read this week from the lead singer of Skillet. It was fantastic. Here's a quote. We want the benefits of God's kingdom with the caveat of being the king. I thought, fantastic. Why don't you just come preach Sunday? You say that one thing, walk off, we're done getting to dinner. I mean, we're, 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 you know, I mean that's the essence of sin, isn't it? I'll take your benefits as long as I get to be in control. Here's what I want to do with my life. Here's what I want you to do for me. Here's how I'd like that to go. I want my kids to look like this. I want my job to do this. I want my wife to to do all these things and be this kind of person. And I I don't want to be affected. And I want you to agree with everything that I agree with, Jesus. And when I read it in your word, if it contraindicates, I'd like you to rewrite that. That, That's the the heart of sin. And what Christianity does is it bends our will to his. Because that's actually where we're really going to be Satisfied and thrive and flourish. We just don't believe it. We think we know better and he knows better. The true irony of the story is that if Jesus did come off the cross and did do what everybody wanted him to do and did become the Messiah that they wanted, they'd have no chance of being saved. For Jesus to save himself and do, hey, let me be the Messiah everybody wants me to be, we would consign every soul to hell because that's what every soul deserves. You remember the verse from, if you've been in church a long time? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's really true. It's a holiness thing we don't understand. We have no righteousness of our own. We're just tricked into believing it by the deceitfulness of sin. So do you see what Jesus did? Do you see how Jesus loves? That's what I want you to see. He, He suffered not because he was a victim but because he loves And because he chose to suffer and die, he's now our advocate to God the Father, and he's our lawyer pleading our case against eternal judgment. God saves sinners. God does. Not themselves. Now, I remember growing up, quick, quick story, I, in like eighth grade, and, and I used to see this picture of Jesus as the advocate, First John, we've been reading through the CBR, if you're familiar with that, this week, right? First John uh, 1 and verse John 3, uh, it shows up a lot. And so... Uh, he, he, Jesus is our lawyer, and, and God the Father, and Jesus is kind of begging for mercy, is what I would say. You know, Father, uh, uh, your, your honor, show please show mercy on your subject, Jamie. He's, he's really sorry, and even though he deserves punishment, eternal punishment, can you just bend the rules for him one time for my sake? Could you just, could you just one time? He, really, he, he feels bad about it, and he feels really bad, so could you just let him go this one time? That's kind of how I saw it going in my mind. And so I lived in fear of messing up one too many times or doing that one thing that's just not really forgivable and Jesus really couldn't win my argument because it's really not defensible. I mean, it's nice of Jesus just to show up at all, argue on my behalf. I don't deserve that. And so I I have God the Father is just waiting for one good reason to smack and unleash wrath on me. But so far, Jesus has been able to talk me out of it, talk talk him out of, of doing that to me. So this is where we read CBR this week, and it hit me, and it put these things together for me. First John 1, 1 9. You may know the verse. I'm, I'm, I hope you do. And if you don't, this is a good one. All right? Uh, it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know if it made it up there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now it says, If we confess our sins... Right, he is faithful and. Let me say that one more time, real loud. He is faithful and. Just. Is that strike you funny? It says faithful and just. It is right for God to forgive our sins. Why? Because Jesus does not say, and this is what I would expect it to say: if we confess our sins, he is faithful and merciful. <laughs> that would make sense to me, at least in my eighth-grade ness. But he doesn't say that. Please bend the rules, Father. Have mercy on me, Jamie. One more time, please bend the rules. Look over his sin. Don't give him what he deserves. No, Jesus doesn't say that. That's not how the argument looks. It looks like this. I know Jamie doesn't deserve to be forgiven, but remember what I did. Remember what I took. Remember my suffering, my mocking, uh, the shame that I bore, the scourging, the crucifixion. I paid that for him. You don't have to bend the rules. And in fact, by forgiving him, you will be upholding them. That's different. What does that matter? Oh, it matters a lot. Look at Romans 3.25. This is Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just and the justifier. That he is right in doing so. He is just in declaring you his enemy righteous. That's crazy. You should just be getting mercy. And you should be glad to get that. But he's like, it's just in doing it. It's righteous, the righteousness of God. That's what's happening right now at the cross. It's what's being earned in your favor. This is the process. Understanding that by faith, it should change the way that you approach the throne of grace. You don't grovel up to it. Oh, please have mercy. Please have mercy. I hope this is not the time. You also don't abuse that grace because you watched how it was procured. You don't just go, oh, it's just it's grace. Put it on the grace card. It's not a problem. I live how I want. Jesus paid for all that. Oh, you haven't seen what he did. You haven't seen what he went through. You don't realize you're in a relationship, do you? You're adhering to a set of moral code and regulations and policies, procedures. You're following the manual and it's just a manual to you. It hasn't been given life through the Spirit, through the life of the written Word to become the living Word. It's really not Christianity at all. It's a mockery. But when you understand both sides of that, you have a bold humility that your acceptance is not based on your behavior, but on the sufferings of Christ. it it leads to a life of amazing thankfulness generosity mercy oh it looks like the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control all that starts to be expressed not so that you get God's acceptance but because you have it and you start living this abundant life do you see Jesus as standing in your place that's our question what are you going to do with him He's real. Let's pray. If you're new, we pray um, after we hear the Word and worship through music. Um, Three things. One to two minutes, and then I'm going to pray. And if you want to just keep praying, that's fine. Stay where you are, no problem. Then we'll take the Lord's Supper, and I'll talk us through that. Um, Number one, just thank Jesus for bearing shame and scoffing rude. He, He took that so that God freely accepts you as a son or daughter pray for bold humility to endure His presence regularly, and then ask God to stir our hearts and let us gaze at His majesty, as His people together. Let's do that just for a minute or two. Our worship team's going to come, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together.